Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 1, we read, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. And Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently, I considered, and considered, I saw four-footed animals of, of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean at any time has entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now, this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we, went, uh, we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Well, as we continue our verse by verse study through the book of Acts, we find ourselves here in Acts chapter 11. And in these verses, what we have is uh, the recounting of the story of Peter's encounter with Cornelius. This retelling of this story gives us an idea just how important this is to the Holy Spirit, how important this event is to the Holy Spirit. It's so important that the Holy Spirit uh, recounts this story for us two times. In light of the Great Commission, which Jesus gave his disciples, saying, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And even though his very last words uh, that Jesus spoke to his disciples before he ascended into heaven were, it was not for you to know times or season which are in the Father's hands, right, uh, has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power from the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and all uh, Samaria and to the end of the earth. And even in light of these things, right, the church in Jerusalem, uh, as you read this chapter, they don't seem very happy that Peter uh, goes to Cornelius' house and preaches the gospel to these Gentiles. I mean, they seem to be demanding of Peter uh, an explanation for his actions, right? 
So what we have before us here in Acts chapter 11, 1 verse 18 is Peter's defense of his ministry. And it says in verse 1, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. It makes me wonder, you know, how did these men of the circumcision, how did they hear that Peter went to the Gentiles? I mean, where did they, who did they hear it from, right? I wonder about this because Peter hadn't yet returned to Jerusalem, right? Verse 2 says, and when Peter came up to Jerusalem, they had already known uh, what happened. The news had already been in Jerusalem before Peter got there. I mean, the news traveled faster than Peter did. And, and you know, you know, uh, God chose the nation of Israel to be his own special people. Uh, his plan was for the Jews to be a witness to the world of a loving relationship with God. You know, they were to be a testimony to the world of what the relationship was that was available to, to everyone, right? What that relationship was supposed to look like. They were to be a demonstration of how to live for God, how to walk with God. They were to show the world if they would be willing to enter into a relationship with God, you know, it would result in just untold blessings. And speaking of Israel, God said, Isaiah 42, verse 6, he says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold, uh, and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. But instead of seeing the word of God as given to the Jewish people to share with the world, instead of seeing God's blessing uh, upon them as a resource to reach out to the world, right? They thought God's blessing was upon them because they were righteous, right? They thought that God received them and gave them favor because they were somehow special, right? They thought that... Uh, you know, they were nothing like the rest of the world, right? And instead of reaching out and opening up to the world as God intended, the Jewish people looked inward and they shut out the Gentiles, right? And as time passed, as time passed, the Jews began to look down on the Gentiles as something of lesser value, right? Lesser because they didn't have the relationship that the Jewish people had with God, right? Even though that, that relationship that the Jews had with God, it was nothing of their own doing, right? It was God who chose Abraham, who was an idol-worshiping Gentile in the Ur of the Chaldees. And God, through unmerited favor, reached out to Abraham and blessed him. And it was accounted to Abraham as righteousness because he believed it. And he received it, right? But as I said, the Jews forgot all of this. And they began to look down upon the, the Gentiles as lesser, as inferior, as even despicable, right? They held to this idea so strongly that in, in Jesus' day, if a religious Jew walking down the street 
would just brush up against the Gentile, right? He would go home and burn his clothes, right? Because he considered himself unclean as a result of contact with a Gentile. And, and again, we mentioned it the other week, but the Jewish people thought the Gentiles were created for God to, you know, fuel the fires of hell, right? That's what they were. Well, as you can rem- uh, uh, imagine, all of this created a terrible prejudice against the Gentiles. So much so that when Peter preached to Cornelius, when Cornelius, his family and his friends were saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, right? The news got back to Jerusalem before Peter did. And, and the thing that really ticked off these Jewish uh, believers back in Jerusalem was that Peter actually ate with Gentiles, right? The serious objection to what Peter did was not that he preached to the Gentiles, not that he went into a Gentile's home, but that he ate with the Gentiles. I mean, that was scandalous. That was disgraceful. That just, that was outrageous, right? We all know how fast gossip can travel, right? How fast rumors and half-truths travel. I mean, they seem to travel faster than what any of us could ever imagine, right? And by the time Peter returns to Jerusalem, the news of what he may or may not have done, right? The rumors, the gossip, they had already found a place to lodge themselves in the minds of these people. you know, judgmental Jewish believers, right? Listen, we're not to be like that as Christians. We're not to be that way. We're not to entertain gossip about others. When someone begins to to talk to us about another person, hey, hey, did you hear about Sally Sue? (laughs) No, let me tell you what she did. Or, hey, bro, did you hear about Jimmy Jones? Now, I know you won't believe it, but I heard, you know what? As believers, we're to put a stop to that kind of talk when it comes our way. We're not to entertain gossip. We're not to to, uh, allow people to backbite and talk behind other people's backs in our present, right? In our presence. We're to say to those people, and we should say it immediately, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm not really interested in hearing uh, about it, okay? We're to say that, especially if Sally Sue and Jimmy Jones are believers. In Acts chapter 11, verse 1, we read, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him. These men referred to as those of the circumcision, they were Jews who had been saved. They came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but they held on to, they were still caught up uh, with the laws of Judaism. And these men came to Peter and disputed with him. They argued with him. And the Greek word in verse 2 translated for us, contended, it actually comes from the same word that's translated, doubting nothing. When the Holy Spirit told Peter, go with him, doubting nothing. It's actually the same word. It's the same word in uh, Acts 10, 20 uh, and 11, 12, where the Holy Spirit tells Peter, doubting nothing. 
And the word means to make a distinction or difference, right? To discriminate, to separate oneself in a hostile spirit. So what was the argument and contention all about? Well, I said it. We already saw it. Verse 3, right? Their complaints were that Peter went into the uncircumcised men and ate with them. The problem for these Jews was that Peter ate with these guys, right? Again, the primary complaint is not that Peter preached the word of God to them, right? The problem they had is Peter ate with these guys. Now, personally, I find that really interesting. Um, and I'm going to ask you, don't you find that interesting too? And you're going to look at me like, what are you talking about? I don't know. Well, it's the same thing the religious leaders, the Jews accused Jesus of, right? Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, they complained that Jesus ate and drank with tax collectors and sinners. And, and as I thought about this, it reminds me, Jesus told his disciples, he said, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, guess what? Uh, they're also going to persecute you. If they kept my word, they're going to keep your word too, right? And that's actually what we're seeing here. Just like Jesus had to defend himself for extending grace to the needy. You know, in a similar way, we see Peter here defending himself for going to the Gentiles with the gospel and extending grace to them in fellowship. You see, eating with somebody in that culture was a sign of acceptance. It was a clear sign of fellowship and friendship. And the problem for these Jewish believers is that Peter, I mean, he's supposed to be a faithful Jew. And he ate with Gentiles, right? It was sinful. It was offensive. In their eyes, in the eyes of these legalistic Jews, in the eyes of these men of the circumcision, this was seen as a serious compromise on the part of Peter, right? They seem to be far more concerned with what Peter did than they were with what God was doing. You know, the events of, of this day, right, showed Peter in God's eyes, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. God was breaking down barriers. Keep your finger here in Acts chapter 11 and turn with me quickly to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, Paul writes, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember you, that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hand, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of, of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body 
through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What we're seeing here in Acts is, is this. It's the beginning of what Paul's writing about in Ephesians. You know, it's that, that Ephesians, those verses bless me so much because I was once far off, a stranger. Man, I was outside the promises of God and he's brought us near. But for the Jews who tended towards legalism, it was just too much. And Peter's actions were viewed as going too far. And we read in verse 4, Acts chapter 11, verse 4, if you turn back there, Acts chapter 11, verse 4. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning. Man, I like what I see here in Peter, right? I like it so very much. He doesn't say, Peter doesn't say, how dare you question me? I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. You know what? I've been with the Lord from the beginning. Man, I was with the Lord before you even came into the picture. Or as some might say, I was with the Lord when you were still in diapers. You know, however it might be. But he doesn't say that. He explains to them humbly. He tells them precisely. He recounts for them in order, politely, everything that happened from the beginning. Verse 5, he says, I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners. It came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean is at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And at that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having uh, been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me. And we entered the man's house, and he told us how an angel, had, uh, how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose name, uh, surname is Peter who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. As I said earlier, it's very interesting to me that, that Luke, the author of the book of Acts, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, takes time to recount this story of Peter's vision. Right? He, he tells it to us the second time. You see, Luke wrote the book of Acts on a scroll, Right? It is really just a big rolled up piece of parchment. It's not like a book like we would think of a book today, you know, where you might have two or 300 pages. It's not like that, right? A scroll was a piece of parchment about 25 to 35 feet long, right? And it was rolled up on two spools, right? Because it was way too big to handle. And the parchment was printed on by hand, 
with a quill dipped in ink and then written on, right? And it wasn't printed with a small size font either, uh, like books we have today, right? It was printed big enough so that it could be easily uh, read by guys my age. Uh, I, I'm beginning to have problems reading the giant print, you know? So a scroll, it was fairly large. And because space was limited on this piece of parchment, you had to be concise, you had to be exact in the story that you wanted to record. Now, taking all of that into consideration, why would the Holy Spirit retell this account, taking up valuable space on the scroll? I think the reason is because the Holy Spirit doesn't want us to miss the story, right? I think the reason is because the Holy Spirit wants us to be mindful of this story. He wants us to remember it. Uh, I think he wants it to be precious to each one of us. That's why he tells it to us twice. And, and the point is, of this story, you're not to call that which God has cleansed common or unclean. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewelry. Zephaniah 3.17, again, one of my favorite verses. The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. You know what? God is rejoicing over each one of you with singing. And that blesses me to think that anybody would rejoice over me with singing. You know what? God has saved us. Jesus became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I am righteous in God's sight because of what Jesus did for me at Calvary. He clothed me. He's clothed us. He's clothed us in the garments of salvation. He's covered us in the robes of his righteousness. I'm his bride, right? You're his beautiful and beloved bride. The love of his life in whom he takes tremendous pleasure all because of the finished work of the cross which he's accomplished for you and I. Man, it is a wonderful day. It is a wonderful day when these truths are received and they're embraced, they're understood, they're embraced and they're implanted forever in our hearts. It's so important. Well then, why do I have such a hard time receiving it? I mean, why do I beat myself up every time I fail? You know what? We need to understand it's all grace. It's all grace. Salvation has nothing to do with me and has everything to do with what Jesus has done for me. Sometimes I think the problem is because it's hard at times for us to receive God's grace graciously. You know? And I think the reason for that is, at least in part, because 
you know what? I'm so aware of my own beastly nature. I mean, I'm aware of a dark, sinful heart that beats in my chest. And there's a voice inside of me that says, you don't deserve his unconditional love. You're a mess. You're not worthy. And the reality is that voice is 100% right. I'm not worthy. I am a mess. It's true, and I know it. And the enemy's quick to agree with that voice in my head, right? And he even adds to it, whispering into my ear. You know, you're even kind of a jerk. <laughs> you know, look at you. Look at how you act. How could God possibly ever love someone like you, right? And we should understand, on top of that, people who are legalistic, people who are self-righteous, are all too happy to point out your past, to point out your, your failures, every place you've fallen short. And they'll say to you things like, that's not very Christian-like now, is it? You know, or they'll, they'll call you, they'll say something like, you call yourself a Christian, right? And again, the truth is, man, I'm not worthy. I do fail. I fail a lot. You know, I do do the wrong things. I do say the wrong things. And oftentimes, I feel like I'm the wrong thing. And if you ever find yourself feeling like this, you know what? We need to understand that God the Father, He would have you, He would have me realize that when the attack comes, and man, it seems to come continually, doesn't it? It seems to be constant. It seems to be never ending. It seems to be like the waves of the ocean just continually coming and coming and coming. Well, when the attack comes, we need to realize our response needs to be, needs to always be, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Listen very carefully, if you will. If we spend any time at all agreeing with the attack, questioning why God would ever save someone like me, right? why he would ever set someone like you or set someone like me apart for him, what we're doing is we're casting aspersions on the saving work of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus has saved us. He has washed us in his blood. He has cleansed us from all of our sin. All of the sin in the past, the present, and in the future. Right? And I don't understand why he would give his life for someone like me. I don't understand. I don't know why he would choose to save someone like me. But he has. And he has saved me eternally. And like Abraham, we just need to receive it instead of questioning it, right? I'm to fix my eyes on the Lord, not on my past, not on my failures. I'm to receive his love and the gift of eternal salvation by faith. And I'm to embrace it. And I'm to believe it. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. And we need to understand all of that. It's not just for me. It's not just for you. You know what? It's for that person to your right. It's for that person to your left. It's for that person that's uh, in front of you. It's for that person that's behind you, right? What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now, 
Peter defends his action. He tells them of the vision that he had, verses 1 through, sorry, 4 through 14, the vision we just read, right? And he tells them uh, that while he was having the vision, the Lord spoke to him. And then he brings, as witness of his defense, he brings in the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, Acts 11, verse 15. And as I began to speak, uh, uh, speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. The New Living Translation, I like the way they translate the verse. He says, as I begin to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning. You know, we need to understand when you find yourself struggling, when the enemy seems to be attacking, when hurtful and unloving people or that voice within your head begins to point out your faults, your failures, right? You need to understand, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it's a verse that I turn to often when I share with Christ, uh, people, share Christ with people, it says, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of, the, of his glory. You were sealed, right? And that word sealed there, it's the same Greek word used in Revelation 20, verse 2 and 3, which says, he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, right? And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should not deceive the nations uh, no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Just as Satan will have an unbreakable seal which will not allow him to escape from that prison. In a similar way, we've been sealed with an unbreakable seal. And that seal is the Holy Spirit of promise in our life. For Peter's next witness testifying on his behalf, I mean, he brings out the big guns. Johnny Cochran has nothing on Peter, right? His next witness is the word of God. He says, verse 16, then I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When you find yourself struggling, when the enemy is bringing into question your salvation, and people are attacking and pointing out all your failures and shortcomings, understand we have the witness of the word of God that our salvation is sure and steadfast. Jesus said, John 10, 28 and 30, he said, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. This is the picture that he's painting for us. This is his hand. This is you. This is the Father's hand, Right? God loves you, and we need to understand our salvation is secure in his love. And it's sure. And the Father, Jesus and the Father, they're not willing to let you go. 
Keep your finger here in Acts chapter 11. And now turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. I love Romans chapter 5 uh, because it's what I call the much more chapter. Because three, four times Paul says, and not only that, there's more. There's much more. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 10. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For, scare, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Flip over just a, a couple pages and look at me, look with me at Romans chapter 8. Everybody knows Romans chapter 8, 28. That's where we're going to pick it up. Romans chapter 8, 28. It says, and we know. Right? We don't have to guess. We don't have to hope against hope. We know. And we know it beyond all doubts. Paul says, verse 28, Romans 8, 28, and we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. You know, honestly, life is hard. Things can be hard. And, you know, each of us, we can face very difficult challenges in this life. And it always cracks me up when people say, oh, the hard times, they were the good times. And I must be doing things wrong because for me, the hard times, they're just hard times. I don't like them. And taken individually, those hard times can be overwhelming. They can be just tremendously difficult. But God takes those individual hard times and works them together in our lives. And he turns those hard times around for our good. Paul says, Romans 8, 28, Paul says, And we know that all things work together for those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he has also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. By the way, all past tense. We are justified. We are glorified in God's eyes. What then, verse 31, shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's not God. It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God and also makes intercession for us. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. Uh, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. You know what? People are going to say what people are going to say. Don't buy into it. Who's going to bring a charge? Man, God, God's the one that sent his son to die for us. The Apostle John said, 1 John 3, 20, he said, and if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. All the accusations, all the truth regarding who I really am, all my failings, all my shortcomings, all my sins, you know what? God knows them all. And the wonder of wonders is he loves me just the same. Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. God loves you. 1 John 4.9, in this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And you know what I love about these verses, what I love about these verses is actually found in Malachi 3.6, where the Lord says, for I am the Lord, I do not change. In other words, if God has ever loved you, if he's ever loved me, and he has, because he sent his son. We read it earlier. He demonstrated that love for us by sending his son while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God. So if God has ever loved you, then he will always love you because he doesn't change. He doesn't change. He's unchanging. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you need it said a little more clearer. Man, you know what? I love it. If you're a person who struggles with these kinds of things, these doubts, these you know, people attacking, saying things, you need to hold on to these verses and countless other verses just like them. And you need to understand what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Turn back with me to the book of Acts. Acts 11, verse 17. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Peter says, who am I that I should argue with God? You know, who are we to argue with God? Who are we to argue with God? The God who gave himself that, we might, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, purify us for himself so that we might be his own special people, zealous for good works. Who are we to argue against that God? The Bible says we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. We're his workmanship. The Greek word, poema, which is where we get the word poem. We're his masterpiece. You know, he loves us. He loves us. Verse 18. 
When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. I mean, sometimes I think it's like, like their attitude is like, well, there goes the neighborhood. You know, I don't know. Peter recounts the events to them. He tells them of the vision. He brings, you know, attention to the work of the Holy Spirit, the promise of God through the word. And those are the circumcision. Those guys that were contending with Peter became silent. And everyone present that day glorified God. You know what? It's a glorious thing. God sending the gospel to the Gentiles, offering the forgiveness of sins, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on those who believe. And even the legalists had to glorify God when they heard this, right? And I'm pretty sure that all of us in this room today are thankful for the life-changing gospel going out to the Gentiles. And if you're not thankful for that, if you're not overwhelmed with thanksgiving for that, you should be. You need to need to get with the Lord so that he could give you a, just an overwhelmingly grateful heart. Now, the, an important thing that we need to know, and I don't want you to think that this is the end of the matter, right? That this was the end of the attack. Because it's the same group of legalistic Jewish believers who debate with Paul about the gospel, you know? and the free gift of salvation being offered in Jesus' name in chapters 14 and 15, right? And even after the Council of Jerusalem, chapters 15 in Acts, legalistic Jews continued to attack Paul and tried to bring the Gentile believers under bondage, uh, the bondage of legalism. And this is the point. Legalism never seems to die. There's always going to be some kind of attack. You just need to know it. There's always going to be someone. There's always going to be a struggle with the flesh, right? Throughout our lives, throughout our lifetime and our walks with Jesus Christ, there's always going to be attack. People who aren't happy with you, people who think it's their calling in life to point out all your faults, failures, and flaws. There's always going to be someone who calls into question your salvation, someone who's willing to bring up your past. And again, that someone may just frequently be your own mind, a voice in your own head, you know? And the enemy is going to join forces with that voice, man. He's happy to do that, and he's willing to whisper in your ear. How many times are you going to do that, you big dummy? The enemy is willing to partner with the flesh because the flesh constantly wars against the spirit. And legalism will always say, you have to do more if God is going to love you and accept you. But grace says, and this is what we need to understand, grace says, don't even bother trying to do more. Just receive it. Just receive it. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. You know, when you teach the Bible, when you teach the Word of God, you occasionally run into people that say, you should never teach grace. Never preach on grace. And they say that because they think that people will receive it as a license to live an indulgent life. They're afraid people are going to say, well, why not go and sin and do X, Y, and Z? I mean, God's going to forgive me anyway, right? But the opposite in reality is, is really true. When we understand the grace of God, that's what should keep us from sin. When we understand the grace of God, it should cause us to say, God has loved me and has demonstrated such great love 
uh, for me. How could I possibly break his heart by doing this thing that's contrary to him? Right? I'm free to do whatever I want to do, but I dare not sin against love. I dare not break the heart of the one who loves me. Understanding greater love has no one than this, than uh, he laid down his life for a friend and Christ laid his life down for us. Right? We need to understand Jesus laid his life down so that you, so that I, you know, he took your sin, he took my sin. He paid the penalty for your sin. He paid penalty for my sin so that we would never have to endure the wrath of God, that we would never have to bear the righteous indignation of God so that we could enter into a right relationship, an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. Understanding this should cause us to daily seek to live the things that we say we believe as Christians. Right? To live our life solely for the glory of our wonderful, merciful God. Right? Who lovingly and graciously talk about something hard to understand. He takes up residence within our hearts. And God lives through us now. He wants to he wants to be seen by others. He wants to express his life through our life now. And I want to encourage you this morning. You know, maybe you don't struggle with these kinds of things. Maybe it's just one person here. Maybe it's somebody there watching on the internet. I want to encourage you this morning. Yeah? Live for God with all of your heart. Right? Don't worry about what other people think or say. Right? Like I said, there's always going to be someone, and the enemy's going to make sure of that. There's always going to be someone to point out your, your faults, right? Someone bring up your past. There's always going to be someone to accuse you falsely. And again, it may just be your flesh bringing up those uh, uh, accusations. Don't give in to it. Don't buy into it. Receive God's grace. Live your life for Jesus. No one else. Live your life for Jesus. Seek to please Him. No one else. Right? Because he alone has loved you with an everlasting love. He alone has cleansed you. Doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. Doesn't matter if you've kept the law or you've lived a lawless life. God's grace has been extended to each one of us. You know, I, I, think, I think that this is the genius of God. He chose to use flawed vessels, right? He could have used angels to share the gospel, but it pleased him to use, you know, men and women like Peter, men and women like you and me, flawed vessels. When we share the gospel, man, it goes out with even greater power when the Holy Spirit speaks through us, you know, because we realize our need for a Savior, Man, I would be no place. Where would I be right now if it wasn't for God's grace? It's something that we should consider frequently, I think. And the result of understanding where we would be without the cross, it causes us to share the gospel with even greater passion and greater thanksgiving. You know what? Uh, it's always funny to me when we get together and pray. Because pray. the last, I don't know, four, six weeks... Somebody has always prayed something that I'm going to say in the Bible study. This morning, Lily prayed it. Freely we've received. And we got to give freely. Freely we've received God's grace. 
Now we need to freely give it to others for the kingdom's sake. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just pray that you would take these, these things said. Lord, that you would breathe life into them. And Lord, you would implant them in our heart. Help us to receive it. Lord, for my brother or sister, maybe one, maybe none. Maybe it's someone online. Maybe it's somebody going to watch this video later that does struggle with these things. Has, you know, um, you know uh, self-esteem problems, self-esteem in Christ issues. But I just pray that they would understand you've cleansed them. You've cleansed us, Lord. I have issues, Lord. Sometimes I think that uh, I know I'm a mess. Like I said, it's 100% true. Lord, help us all to receive your grace graciously and just walk with you lovingly, attentively to your spirit to just be led wherever you want to go, to say whatever you want to say to those people around us that don't know you for your kingdom's sake, for your glory's sake. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.